Disney World or the Walt Disney World Resort, as seen by Dave, a long-time visitor and long-time cast member. Hello and welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View. My unique perspective on the whole Walt Disney World Resort. How's everybody doing today? So last week, I talked a little bit about my relationship with Disney and sort of who I am and what makes me tick. And I wanted to give you a little more insight into that. Actually, I'm an industrial engineer by trade. And one of the hallmarks of industrial engineering is this whole method of queuing and planning for things so that people have something that they, they can be doing uh, so you're servicing them the right way. You know, if you look at it as, a, as sort of like you go into a, a bank and how many tellers do you need and how long would your wait be to, to get to see a teller. If you think about it from that perspective, that's kind of where industrial engineering lies. But if you really look at it from the Disney perspective, it really takes a broader perspective. I'm in a queue and I'm doing something to be entertained so that I can get to get onto the attraction I want to I want to be on. And how long is the attraction and how long is the load time and how long is the wait time and all of those things kind of factor in. So growing up and going to Disney, one of the things that fascinated me the most was this whole method of queuing. And in my mind, somewhere along the way, I'm always thinking about the Jungle Cruise. And how on the Jungle Cruise, you're kind of in this long queue that goes back and forth that has this tremendous theming to it. You're looking at all of these things related to being on a jungle expedition. And you're hearing an overhead storyline kind of telling you different things and some music. And you can see the boats coming and going. And the amazing thing about that is the Jungle Cruise has an extremely long load and unload time because you pull up one boat, or sometimes two, next to each other, and it seats 30 people maybe, and that load time takes several minutes, and the, the ride itself takes uh, about 12 minutes to run through. So how many boats would you need to be on there to minimize the queuing time and keep people moving through the attraction? So all of those things kind of figured out kind of come together in my mind as, as being the hallmark of, really the hallmark of industrial engineering. This is like the gold standard of IE work. You know, how long does someone have to wait in order to get on an attraction? So that's one of the things that truly fascinated me about Disney, and one of the things that really captivated my imagination was thinking about all of those cool things, because it's, it, it is about how long the ride takes and how long you get on there, but you don't think about it. Yeah, you walk up and you see that the, uh, the standby entrance is a 35-minute wait, but you don't mind waiting in it because 35 minutes, you know, in Disney time is just, it doesn't seem like that long. And there's things to do as you're walking along, and it's really interesting and entertaining, and I love that about Disney. I think that's one of the coolest things, and that's one of the things that really drew me into Disney and kind of my love of Disney because it's a much greater piece to the puzzle than it is just the attraction itself. I mean, I love Jungle Cruise, don't get me wrong, but it's the entire complete experience. You're immersed in this whole thing about the Jungle Cruise and riding on it. And that's just one example. Uh, Disney has a lot of different ride systems and show systems and ways to get people on and off and numbers of queues that, uh, number of people that can wait in a queue and those types of things. It's amazing to me, you know, Dumbo has been sitting there for forever um, since the park opened. And the Dumbo attraction has, I think it's uh, 12 Dumbo cars, uh, 12 Dumbo elephants that go around. And, you know, you wait in a queue and you get up there and you, you, ride, on the, you ride on the attraction. It's a fun attraction and kids love it. And it seems like you wait in that, in that queue forever, but then you go over to the Magic Carpets of Aladdin, and it's relatively the same layout, except for the fact that you can put four people in a, in a carpet instead of two people in a Dumbo. Uh, so as you look at it, you look at that and you think, well, this is kind of interesting because they really thought it through and figured out how to make it more efficient. You don't wait in line as long at the Aladdin exhibit as you did at the, at the Dumbo exhibit. 
And I think that has something to do with the fact that, you know, the Imagineers have evolved the queuing concept over time. The original one they put in was this, you know, this really cool little ride where you're riding Dumbo. And now they have something that's more sophisticated, and I think the load and unload times are a little bit better on the, uh, on the Magic Carpets ride. And I, th- I just think that's pretty neat, that they were able to evolve something that's a very simple attraction. I mean, you think about it, it's, it's your, your basic hub and spoke, right? You have the, uh, the 12 cars that just go around, and, you know, you wait for a few minutes, and you get on. And it goes around for a few minutes, but it's, it's the theming of it and the enjoyment of it. Next time I go, I'm going to have to ride on both of them and measure how long it takes to, to wait in the queue, whether, it's, whether it is an actual load and unload time problem or whether it's something else. But just something that occurred to me. So that's one of the reasons that I really love Disney, is just about thinking about the engineering of it and just how complete the experience is and how they've really thought through every uh, detail. So that's, that's really what drives me. And I wanted to share that with you about who I am and what, what really makes it tick for me. Now, today's podcast, I wanted to do something else. Uh, I wanted to talk about something that happened a couple of weeks ago. And a couple of weeks ago happened to be the Super Bowl. And at the end of the game, Drew Brees was asked the question, Drew Brees, you've just won the Super Bowl MVP. What are you going to do now? And his answer, anybody, anybody, I'm going to Disney World. And that particular ad campaign has been going on since 1986. And I thought I'd share with you a little more information about that ad campaign and what works about it and why it's so important in the, in the history of Disney. And here's the thing. Back in 1986, or I guess it would have been in 85 or so, Michael Eisner and his wife Judy were having dinner. And they had some celebrities and you know some important people there, and they were having a, a dinner party. And there was a little conversation going on around the table. And Bert Rutan, a relatively well-known aviator, who had flown, circumnavigated the globe, so he had flown around the world without stopping or refueling. So he's the first person to have ever done that. It's a tremendous feat. If you know anything about flying, you realize that's a very complicated thing to do because you have to plan for the amount of fuel and you know, wind direction and what, you know, what speed and altitude you're going to fly at so that you don't need to refuel uh, while having the minimum amount of weight that you're carrying on the airplane. So he had just done this remarkable thing, and Judy was kind of chit-chatting with him and said, so, now that you've flown around the world, what are you going to do? And he looks at her and he says, well, I'm going to Disneyland. And that kind of stuck with her. And she talked to Michael about it later, and she's like, you know, this guy just did something great. I mean, he just did something that just no one's ever done before. And it's a remarkable feat. And what's he going to do to top that? He's going to go to Disney World. That's how he's going to celebrate. And that kind of stuck with her. And as she talked to Michael about it, Michael's eyes lit up, and he goes, what a great ad campaign. We could do something much greater where we talk to people about, you know, no matter what your accomplishment is in life, Disney World or Disneyland or the whole Disney company, a Disney property is where you want to go after you're finished. Now, of course, Disney World being the, uh, the hallmark, the, the biggest of the, of the parks in terms of the number of uh, tourists and guests that come to, the, uh, come to the Orlando area, really was the one that they wanted to focus on for the ad campaign. Though it doesn't get lost anywhere that the other parks are, are mentioned in some of the ads, and sometimes it, uh, they wind up going to the other ones. So Michael talked to the ad department and the ad agency, and they came up with a plan. They thought, the next time there's a Super Bowl in 1986, we're going to get the quarterbacks of the two NFL teams, and we're going to pay them some amount of money, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, to just say that line. So we'll grab them right after the game. Whichever one wins, we'll grab them right after the game, and we'll get them to say that. So here it was. It was 1986. It was the New York Giants against the Denver Broncos. And they had John Elway and Phil Simms all lined up to do this. 
And so the game ends, and the Disney advertising people go over, and they grab Phil Simms, because Phil was the winning quarterback, and they said, okay, Phil, here's your line. And they go, Phil Simms, now that you've just won the NFL championship, what are you going to do now? And Phil says it just right, I'm going to Disney World. And thus became a, a hallmark, a, a true tradition in, in things that people say. You hear it in colloquial phrases, you hear it on TV shows, you hear people saying it, I'm going to Disney World. No matter what their feet, what they've done, wherever they are, that's something that people just say, hey, I'm going to Disney World. And it becomes something much more because now I'm experiencing the same thing that Phil Simms did in 1986. The euphoria of having just done something great and I'm going to celebrate by going to Disney World. And it kind of ties back into the things that they're doing now with what will you celebrate. In a lot of ways, you can see the same sort of lineage there where it, it kind of links back and it says, you know, I'm going to celebrate by going to Disney World. So Phil Simms was the first one to do it. Now, of course, after that, they started getting uh, NBA All-Stars. They started getting Major League Baseball players. I think they even had uh, some uh, golfers and uh, car, racer, car racers and different people like that come and do the same thing. So each one of them came along and said, I'm going to Disney World, and that just kind of grew as an ad campaign. So now here we're up to Drew Brees in this most recent Super Bowl, and Drew says, I'm going to Disney World. Now, in Drew's case, it was a little unusual because Drew actually went the next day to go to Disney World. He was in a parade. Now, it's not the standard 3 o'clock parade, and it's not the standard uh, Spectrum Magic Parade. They had him on at a time that was convenient for him. So he won the Super Bowl on Sunday, and on Monday he was in the parade. And I think the parade was probably in the morning at some point. I can't remember exactly when. It was 10 or 11 o'clock that they put him in a parade. And Mickey Mouse is wearing his, uh, his football helmet, and you know they're riding along. He's waving to the fans, and I guess he, you know, he, he glad-handed a little bit and signed a couple of autographs, and really cool. And then the strangest of strange things, he decided to take that fame and fortune and take it on the road. He left the park after about a couple of hours in the park and went off and went to do the David Letterman show that evening. Now, Letterman's show is filmed at around, I don't know, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the evening, so he flew up to New York from Orlando and went on the Letterman show that same evening. So he really only got a couple of hours in the park. Now, he's got a one-year-old son, so I have to believe that you know he's got another opportunity to go back at some point and really enjoy the experience of being at Disney World with his family. But he wanted to take advantage of the opportunity right away to capitalize on his success and go to Disney World right away. So he was there the next day, so they had the parade for him. And I think that's pretty cool. And I think typically what you see is celebrities go, and they go to Disney World, and they have their own way of going. And having watched a number of celebrities come and go through the parks, you know, a lot of times if you're a really big celebrity or you're a big wig at a corporation or, you know, something like that where you're recognizable or you, you feel the need to have your own security detail or you feel the need to, uh, to just be away from, I don't know, the common folk, those people will go and they'll, um, they'll hire a uh, guest relations person to take them through the parks uh, in special ways. Maybe they'll go through the utilidors. Maybe they'll... Um, take them into backstage areas to get them into the attractions they want. They get the uh, basically the fast pass treatment to any attraction they want to go to. And that way they're kind of away from the public eye. And I, you know, you could use as the example uh, Michael Jordan. If he went in the park, can you imagine what the mob scene would be around Michael Jordan? Or Dan Marino or Brett Favre or anybody like that. So those are the kind of people you see kind of going through the backstage areas and, and going through there. Then you've got other people who just, you know, maybe they're less well-known or, you know, they don't, don't feel that way about the rest of the public or perhaps, uh, you know, they're, just, they're happy to just go out there and just be a part of everything. Or in some cases, maybe they just feel like they can, they don't need, to, they don't need anything around them. They're just, their attitude or the way they carry themselves just is kind of standoffish and people don't bother them. 
So my two examples here. I was uh, I was in the park one day and I was riding the uh, Grand Prix or what's it called now? Is it called uh, the uh, the Speedway, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Is that what it's called? Uh, and I'm standing in line and there's a bunch of group of kids standing there and they're kind of pointing over toward me and I'm thinking, hey, they know Dave and they're looking at me. Go ahead, take my picture. And they were taking a couple of pictures. I'm like, yeah, so I'm giving them thumbs up and whatever. Of course, they weren't there to see me, and I, and I knew that, but it was fun to think about for a moment. They were looking at the guy in front of me, so finally I uh, called over one of the kids, and I said, hey, who are you looking at? And they go, well, that's Ludacris right in front of you. He's the rap star Ludacris. Now, I don't know Ludacris from Ludacris, but hey, that's beside the point. I didn't know who he was, but they did. And he was standing right in line in front of me, and he was just waiting in the queue, just like everybody else was, to go ride the, the race cars. And I, you know, it just occurred to me at that moment in time, that that's what it's really all about. This guy, you know, here he was. He was, you know, he's a he's a relatively famous star in in the rap world, and he was just out there and he was just having a good time going to Disney World and having some fun with it and just really enjoying himself. And it looked like he was having fun when I look back. You know, he was having a good time just like everybody else was. And so that was that was the example that way. And the other example I like to give is of Dennis Rodman. I was uh, a guest in a park in the park one day and I was walking along and you see this guy who's you know almost seven feet tall, and he's got bright blonde hair, and, you know, the, the the nose ring, and the lip ring, and the earrings, and the whole shooting match there, and he's just walking along, and he's got a little entourage with him, and, and you're like, that's Dennis Rodman, and you just know it right away, and everybody kind of left Dennis Rodman ar- alone. It was just something about the way he carried himself. He's like, don't bother me. I don't want to be bothered, and people accepted that, and I think that's the other side of it. You know, a lot of times people would, you know, they like wave or nod, and just kind of leave him alone and didn't bother him much. Um, and I ran into him a couple of times in the park, seeing him different places, and he just, you know, he just kind of carried on his way. Didn't worry about it too much. And so that's, you know, that's the other side of it is, you know, people like that that do that. And of course, being the uh, Dolphins fan that I am, because I'm a huge Dolphins fan, as you know, there's a uh, number of players who came up and went to the park. And as a, as both a guest and along the way as a cast member, I would see a lot of these players come into, uh, come into the parks. And I recognize them on site. And I'm looking in because Miami's close enough to uh, to Orlando where they can go up with their families on a you know at a regular interval. Uh, I'd see these guys around, and mo- for the most part, with the exception of say the Dan Marinos, these guys would be in the parks and they'd just be hanging around, and nobody would nobody would bother them. And you know who they were, and you could walk up and say hello, and you know they were nice enough. And as long as you weren't bothering them and taking up their time, they were just nice enough to uh, to just say hello and you know give you the give you the nod of hey you know glad you noticed me that kind of a thing. And, you know, you used to see these guys around, and it was funny how you know, these guys, you know, because they wear these helmets most of the time, most people don't know who they are, and they're just kind of blending in with the crowd for the most part. Yeah, they have a certain physique that makes them look like a football player, but you don't necessarily think about it that way. You just think about him being another guy in a park having a good time with his family. And I always thought that was kind of neat. And then, as a cast member, one of the other things I noticed was that along the way, you ran into all measure of different people that worked in the parks. Sometimes they were people who had another career. Uh, maybe they were maybe not super famous, but had a little bit of fame along the way who um, who went on to decide they wanted to go to work for Disney World at some point and would work in the back. Sometimes they were related to people who were who were famous. Uh, there was a guy one time I was I was talking to, and his name was Lee, and I talked to him, and, hey, that's Lee, whatever. And, you know, we'd chat for a little bit. And then one day somebody goes, do you know who Lee is? I go, yeah, it's Lee. <laughs> and they said, no, no, it's, it's Lee Burton. I'm like, yeah, that's nice, Lee Burton, okay. They go, that's LeVar Burton's father. LeVar Burton's father? You mean of Star Trek The Next Generation? Yeah, that's the one. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And you just kind of realize that 
you know, it, it spans so many different people and so many different walks of life and different kinds of people who were there that you run into. And it was amazing to me just how many people, you know, you might run into in the park. As a, as a guest, you might just run into somebody. You might go to buy mouse ears at the Emporium or you might be standing in line at, the, uh, at Space Mountain. And the person who's, who's servicing you or who's there to help you might be someone who you might be related to someone famous or might be a, you know, someone who maybe is you know, kind of that lesser fame. And it's always kind of neat to me the way that kind of works in, in some strange way that you run into people all over the place. Once in a while you get asked to take on a special assignment where you might have an opportunity to meet someone famous. You might have an opportunity to drive a, drive a little minibus of people around to a different place or a car where you're chauffeuring someone basically and you never know who that person might be. You get in the car and it may be somebody you've never seen or heard of before or it could be someone like say Jim Henson which happened to a friend of mine. He was shuttling someone, he, was, he got this special assignment just shuttling people back and forth to the airport and this guy gets in, he goes, hey, you're Jim Henson. He goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. And they had a nice little chat on the way over to the uh, hotel that Henson was staying at. So that's the thing about it. You just never know because everybody comes to Disney World at some point. Now, I wouldn't be complete in telling this story, if, telling this whole tale if I didn't tell you a little story. Now, a lot of times these uh, celebrities come into the park and they have, you know, maybe they do something special for them. Over in the uh, studios, they used to do uh, like uh, soap weekends and they do ESPN the weekends where they bring in a lot of people who are in that industry and they're there and they're walking through the parks and they're just having a good time or even Star Wars weekend for that matter where you have some people in there and they tend to just kind of be around and you can just see them and they're approachable and they're just having fun and they're just enjoying themselves. And that's always kind of neat because Disney kind of fosters that. Even when Regis and Kelly, and it used to be Kathy Lee, even when they came to the parks, you, you'd see them around and they'd, they'd be there and for the most part they're sort of famous they'd sort of disappear into the shadows a little bit but they were approachable to some degree and Regis was always pretty cool about things you could say hi and whatever and he was, he was pretty nice about it uh, so that was always kind of neat but my, the story I wanted to get back to was this story about Michael Jackson now when I was working in the Emporium they, uh, my, I understood that Michael Jackson used to sometimes essentially rent the park out himself now Michael, as we've heard, is a little bit of a recluse, or was a little bit of a recluse, and would do things a little differently. He just kind of, you know, would do things on a, I don't even know how to say this, he would just do it in, in his own way. Uh, so where, you know, most people would take that um, backstage tour and, you know, come up and just go on the attractions, Michael used to rent out the whole park for himself, and he'd do it, you know, a couple of times a year maybe, he'd just pick the park he wanted to go to, Magic Kingdom was his favorite. And after the park closed, it would be open to him. Whatever attractions he wanted to go on would be staffed. Whatever things he wanted to go to would be staffed. It was always there for him, whatever way he wanted to do it. He'd come with his small entourage of people, and they'd wander around the parks, and they'd do whatever they were going to do, ride whatever attractions, and have some fun. So one day, they came to me and they said, Hey, David, there's going to be a uh, Michael Jackson visit tonight. Uh, you want to work some overtime? And I'm like, Sure. You know, you're on the schedule, so you can, you can stay around. And they tell everybody else, you know, you're going to keep a small staff. Here I was in the, I was in the Emporium, and they said, we're going to keep a small staff around, but everyone else is going to go home, and if you're not working, you're not allowed to stay. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm still there. And, you know, they're telling us, they're giving us the, the lowdown on Michael Jackson. Okay, he's going to come in, but treat him like any other guest. 
what? Treat him like any other guest. He's going to be in there with a small group, and the park is closed, and we're being told we can't hang around if we're not working, and you want him to treat, you want us to treat him like any other guest? Okay. So we were, we'd be standing there and just stocking the shelves or doing whatever it was at that, that moment in time, and uh, Michael Jackson came into the store by himself. So here I am. I'm in the store. I'm in the Emporium in the Magic Kingdom, and it's a very large store, and there's about, oh, I'd say four or five of us working, and Michael Jackson wandered in. So it's just the four or five of us and Michael Jackson. And Michael's just wandering around the store, and, you know, don't bother him. Just let him do what he's going to do. So he's just wandering around, and he's looking at stuff. And he, there was one thing that he really liked. It was a, a custom sculpture of some kind. I think it might have been in Cinderella's castle. Now I can't remember. Oh, I, I know. It was a clock. It was like Cinderella's clock or something. It was something that someone had sculpted. And the price tag on it was high. It was, I can't remember, $250,000 or something. And apparently every time he'd come in, he'd go, how much is this? And they'd say $250,000. He goes, oh, that's too pricey. And he'd walk off and go do something else. And, you know, tonight was no exception. He came over and he asked about it, and someone answered. And then he wandered over, and the section that I was in, I was hanging up T-shirts or something, and he walked by, and we nodded at each other. You know, the, the guy nod, right? It was just like, hey, how you doing, how you doing? I think he may have even said, how you doing? And that was pretty much it. But it was such an odd experience. But here's another guy. For him, this was what made it special. Now, I know it's, it's eclectic, and he has a different, had a different viewpoint on the way he looks at the world, but for him, that worked. He would get in there, and he would just stand up and smile and just enjoy himself. And, you know, it was, it was an odd sort of feeling, knowing that he was, he was sort of that loner that way, but knowing that he was happy was sort of interesting. I mean, it, it, it was kind of heartwarming in its own right, because here he was. He was in the happiest place on Earth. Yeah, he was by himself. But he could say, I'm going to Disney World, too. And I just think that's one of the more amazing things, one of the more amazing stories that I can remember. It was just intriguing to me to see the man come in. And so that's the thing. You know, you'll go to the parks and you go as a guest or maybe you, one day you become a cast member and you're walking around and you never know who you're going to run into. You never know who's going to be standing in line in front of you or next to you or who's going to be servicing you at, uh, at whatever place you are. You know, it could be someone who you recognize. And, you know, as long as you're not bothering them, there's nothing wrong with saying hi. You know, that's the thing about it. They, you know, generally speaking, these guys are pretty approachable, and they, they just, they're just there to have fun, just like you are. There's nowhere else in the world that I can think of where you can go and just have some fun and really just feel like you're uh, just there as a, as a part of the whole fun aspect of it. It's just one of the more interesting places that way. And from, a place to, from the perspective of a place to work, there's no industry like it. Everyone there is, have, is, is there to have a good time. Sure, there are exceptions, and people sometimes are having a bad time, or they're having a bad day, or something bad happens to them, whatever it might be, you know, illness or whatever. But generally speaking, they're there to have a good time. So on the whole, you look at everybody just having fun and just enjoying themselves, and the kids, the wonder in their eyes, and just the excitement of it all. There's something about it. So I'm going to Disney World. That's the, that's the catchphrase for today, and I just wanted to share that with you, why that was so important and why it kind of captivated me after the Super Bowl when I heard Drew Brees say it because it reminded me what it was really all about. That's what Disney World is all about. And that wraps up our podcast for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back again in about a week. If you have feedback or thoughts, feel free to email me at dave at pitchingdave.com. Just remember to keep following your imagination. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation. 
right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark that lights up for you. Imagination, imagination. A dream can be a dream come true with just that spark in the end, you.